You're listening to Inspirational Decency, episode 1278. Strunk and white, more like funk and white. Why won't someone love me? I've tried everything. I've tried playing it cool, to the point of being outright rude, so as not to seem too eager, or interested, or appealing. I not only designed my own rocket ship, but I stapled it together myself in my remedial art class. My personal grooming habits can most accurately be described as oil-based and sledgy. I have a personality that has not once suffered what you'd call a crisis. Rather, from the age of five, it has remained dependably recessive and numbing, the interpersonal equivalent of antifreeze. I admit that I'm not much for music, since I listen mainly to whatever's on the stereo, at the electronics stores I rob at gunpoint. But this has allowed me to take the lyrics of one John Sakata under advisement, based as they are in a complex ethos of spreading one's love, like a fine mustard, and having it spread back onto you in return, like a kind of sexual mango jelly. I have gleaned this much from his 1994 hit, Sex Breakfast. Perhaps that's my problem. I have not been giving out the very thing I want to receive. Life is an ever-replenishing store of love and happiness, unless you are unattractive, in which case your love money will be torn up at the happiness store by the cashier, who sports a white sweatshirt reading, You Can't Spell Ungodly Without U-G-L-Y. With this in mind, I shall run through some possible scenarios in which this philosophy might prove useful. If I am introduced to a girl, and she smiles and tells me her name, maybe I shouldn't just say, Okay, fine. I should tell her something flattering about her name. Ah, Melanie. That's a fine, childbearing name. Granted, your hips haven't yet widened in a way that would accommodate childbirth, but give them time, and they will one day thicken and ripen like an overstuffed fruit basket. My hunch is that women enjoy nothing more than knowing you've been pondering their place in the biological melodrama. If, meanwhile, I manage to get a date with an attractive female, dinner, for example, I might not want to look over her shoulder constantly to see if anyone more attractive is behind her. And I definitely shouldn't narrate the entire process out loud to her, weighing the attributes and weak points of each female customer, grading the entire pool based on a curve, comparing my date to each one in a manner that some have described as brutally frank, unnecessarily detailed, and frequently published as an editorial in the Huffington Post. I don't understand why they can't see my criticisms for what they are, attempts to let their true potential bloom inside the supportive and sweltering hothouse of my scathing critiques. But I am willing to meet the world on its own terms just this once. As a wise man once said, The world is what it is, you are what you are, so bottle your resentments in a mason jar. In these ways and more, I hope to impart the kindness and love that I so badly desire myself. I am reminded of a particular Beatles lyric, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make other people give you by playing on their deepest fears and prejudices. That seems like sage advice, especially for someone such as I, who views the human animal as a debased and foul creature who should be fed poisoned barley and put out of its wretched state. So call me, human ladies. And now, 
Darren reads from his Wikipedia entry. Darren Springer is a Canadian writer, actor, musician, country line dancer, and pro-migraine activist. He has written eight chapbooks of dirty limericks, including If Money's No Object, How Come I Can Lick It, and assorted sketches of the ribald and the venereal. He has announced plans to write 12 novels, including The Shrimp Boat Massacre That Almost Wasn't, Harvest Day Doodle, and Despair's Lumpy Corn Mash. As a rap artist, he has recorded such albums as This Is How It's Done, That's How We Used To Do It, and Does Anyone Remember How The Hell We Used To Do This? Upbringing. Springer was born in Grover, Saskatchewan in 1981 to Evelyn and Don Springer, a pair of wedding DJs whose controversial views regarding the funkiness of certain chickens and the superiority of old-time rock and roll to modern varieties made them equal parts celebrated and despised on the Saskatchewan wedding circuit. Don Springer died when Darren was only four, suffering a heart attack as a result of an especially scandalous answer to the question, where's the strangest place you've ever made whoopee? When the bride answered, the waiting room of a children's hospital, Don collapsed and died. Evelyn was left to raise Darren alone, taking a second job as the apprentice to the apprentice to an unemployed magician. Darren would accompany his mother to work in the summer, taking home trash bags of free splendor and employee-discounted wonder. Acting. At the age of 18, Springer entered the National Academy of Artistic Insincerity in Toronto, majoring in stage sickness with a minor in dramatic confusion. He starred in productions of David Mamet's Violent Profanity, Judith Thompson's Lion in the Sack, and Eugene O'Neill's Drunk at the Pharmacy. He soon landed roles in such Canadian films as Frozen Keyboard, The Memory Dumper, and Boring Wasteland. While none of these roles earned him more than eight seconds of screen time, his performances were still deemed convincing by many who saw only the last five minutes of each film. Springer continues to act, pretty much. Music. Despite the three aforementioned self-released albums, Springer has not produced any additional music since 2003. He came close to doing so four years ago, when he realized that rap fans still enjoy hearing sex talk. Yet the potential project was abandoned when Springer was unable to think of a rhyme for undesirably viscous foreplay. In 2007, Springer wrote a press release stating that, quote, music still exists and I might make more of it in the future or whatever, end quote, but he mistakenly emailed it to his landlord. Writing. Besides his self-published limerick books and his forthcoming novels, Springer also does extensive private journaling. In an interview with his parole officer in early release monthly, he noted, quote, Journaling allows me to rationalize and excuse the scores of repellent deeds and thoughts of which I am capable. It makes me feel better about being me, end quote. He has described his diary writings as being comparable to Proust's remembrance of things past to several repulsed strangers at parties. Country Line Dancing Actually, he only did this once, and as a result ended up being ejected from his grandfather's funeral. This has been Darren Springer, reading from his Wikipedia entry. For more information, I don't know.
Oh, ladies and gentlemen. I have to say it's been so long since I've talked to you. In any capacity that wasn't court-mandated. All the sins that I have committed against the fashion industry. They shall never be scrubbed from my gauche soul. Oh, the horror. Oh, the terror. Oh, the spandex. In any case, it is so lovely to be talking to you again. I, well, I I suppose I should explain to you why it's been nine years since there's been an episode of this program. Well, uh, it's kind of a funny story in the sense that several people laugh in it. Um, It's actually fairly terrifying, but there is laughter in it that is fairly inexplicable and um, nightmarish. So, and in that sense, it is funny. If you completely change your definition of funny to include fire. Um, So in any case, it all started when I was walking down the streets of Milan, having gone there on a mission to shout at my father, um, which was quite successful. Um, I just kind of strolled up to him uh, as he was uh, exiting his office, and I shouted, Dolce, I'm a I'm a I'm I'm a yasan. Man, you should have seen the look on his face. Um, wish I had seen it actually. I just kind of ran. Um, guess it was enough that I got to him. But in any case, uh, having wrapped that up into a neat little package, I was walking down the streets of Milan, and uh, I was accosted by a gaggle of street tufts, tufts. A gaggle of street... They weren't a gaggle of street tufts in the sense that their hair had tufts. They had, like, random tufts of hair sticking out. Although one of them did, and they seemed to call him Spanky. So there was was a gang of street tufts that featured one street tuft. And anyway, they accosted me on the street, and uh, they asked me for a, a cigarette. And I said, I didn't have any. I'm very sorry. I don't smoke. And then they asked me for a light for their cigarettes. And and I became very confused and said, wait a minute, you just asked me for cigarettes. And yet you apparently have some. And it's a light that you want. And they looked at me and uh, in very thick Italian accents, they said, what is this, uh, Spanish Inquisition? That's, is, that an, is that an Italian accent? I don't know what I did. I just kind of blacked out for a second and started speaking. Um, so I said, no, no, I don't, I don't want any trouble. It's just, I'm just making an observation. Um, I will go about my day, and I wish you the best. And good luck uh, pinning down those tufts of hair, uh, Mr. Spanky. Um, you know, the chain around your neck uh, is a little rusted. Uh, But again, that's not a reflection on your character. I'm just pointing things out as I see them with my eyeballs. And then I strutted away, um, having made what I thought were a a group of new friends, quite frankly. Uh, But they saw things differently. And uh, I felt the sting 
of a uh, Sting box set being smacked against my head. Uh, he's very big in Italy, especially among gangs of street toughs. And uh, not to mention among gangs of street toughs, like street toughs with tufts of hair sticking out. They cannot get enough of that guy. In any case, I, I went down pretty hard, and they started dropping all sorts of uh, adult contemporary uh, compact discs and records on top of me. Uh, you had Sting, uh, Harry Connick Jr. They threw at me. Um, could I, I thought I think a few Yanni tapes actually made it in there, um, which was especially uh, traumatic for me. And uh, it was terrible. And uh, as they were walking away. Um, guy threw a People Bryson poster at my face, and which is why, to this very day, whenever I see a People Bryson poster uh, above my bed, I think back to that terrible time. I suppose I shouldn't be take down that People Bryson poster above my bed, but uh, you know, in my defense, it's People Bryson. I mean, you know, you get me. In any case. Um, I was, at this point, quite badly injured, so I managed to limp towards the nearest uh, hospital, or as they call it uh, in Italy, um, ice cream store. They say it with a, a southern accent, like a Texan accent, which is really confusing. Uh, so I limped my way to the nearest ice cream store, and uh, the butcher there, they call them butchers, not doctors, um, which is really confusing because they call butchers... Uh, butchers. So, um, if you're going down to the butcher shop, it's really up in the air as to whether or not you're getting, uh, you know, pound of rump roast, or if you're getting that uh, tracheotomy scar looked after. Anyway, um, I got stitched up. Uh, everything was fine, but then. As I was leaving the butcher shop slash hospital, it was actually, that was really confusing. It was a butcher shop and a hospital. So that really compounds things, because if you're going to that butcher shop slash hospital, you could be getting a pound of rump roast and a tracheotomy scar looked after. In any case, as I'm walking out, I uh, see this door uh, on the side of the warehouse that was uh, about a block away. And it said above it, Darren, come in. And I thought it was a real coincidence that uh, that happened to be my name. So what could I do? I had to, I had to go inside and look at it and see what was, see what was in there. So I, I opened the door and I see this bright flash of light. Uh, brighter even than the intellect of uh, someone like uh, an Ann Coulter. That's how bright this light was. Like, her intellect crossed with, like, the charisma of uh, someone like Dennis Miller. I mean, that's how bright this was. Uh, and suddenly I just felt uh, sucked in. I, I, I just uh, experienced a, a real sense of compression. I was sucked through this door. And uh, I spent what felt like about uh, two minutes in there uh, in this place of ungodly delights uh, 
candy canes. Uh, there were um, eight-foot servants offering me wine in large sacks, which I thought was very convenient because I, I hate wine glasses because you actually have to... Actually, I don't know why I hate wine glasses. I just love sacks. I just love drinking wine out of sacks. I think it just makes me feel like I'm at rock bottom. In any case, wine and sacks, candy canes. Uh, there are just so many uh, pictures of uh, L. McPherson's elbows, which I think are her finest features. Just kind of, this is all just floating in a void, and it was just unbelievably pleasurable and relaxing. And yeah, it seemed to last for about two minutes. But then, after that two minutes, or what felt like two minutes, I suddenly got sucked back. I felt myself being sucked back towards the entrance, and I suddenly felt myself being thrown back onto the street. And, uh... I was kind of shaken, and it occurred to me I hadn't read the newspaper yet that day, so I went to the nearest newsstand to buy a newspaper, and it clearly said July 10th, 2011, and I had gone in on July 10th, 2002. So I don't know what I experienced or uh, what the deal was with that, but in any case, I've been in a floating void full of candy canes, eight-foot servants, and pictures of Al McPherson's elbows for what felt like two minutes, but it was actually nine years. So, um, I I don't know what else to say except, um, I really, really hope that Peter Falk is still alive. Good night.